I'm Denzel Mohammed, and welcome to JobMakers. Much of entrepreneurship is about solving problems. Immigrants, coming with different background knowledge and perspectives, are often the ones whose entrepreneurial spirit can lead to a product or service that makes life better for all of us. For Chenning Duker, immigrant from the United Kingdom and founder of Good Pluck, a local produce delivery service, that problem solving meant connecting local farmers directly to consumers without the blood work of 15-hour days and traveling many miles to farmers markets to sell healthy produce that better nurtures the consumer rather than the industrial-scale agriculture we used to. Chenning brought with him a background in organic farming from his grandparents' farms in West Africa, as well as worldly perspectives, having lived in the UK, Ghana, and Singapore before he moved to the US in 2012. Today, he is transforming the lives of Michiganders with his technology and with his passion for figuring out how to fix a mess, as you learn in this week's episode of JobMakers. Kenning Duker, founder and CEO of Good Pluck, the local produce delivery service out there in Michigan. Uh, thank you for joining us on the JobMakers podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about, about Good Pluck. What is it? And also your uh, platform, Pluck.eco? Yeah, Pluck.eco. So um, I'll start by saying uh, when I first came to the U.S., and I was in search for very good food because um, I missed a lot of the food from back home. I ended up uh, going to a lot of like local farmers markets. Um, and along the course of doing this, um, I also started looking at different ways that I could help local businesses and small businesses and kind of even the playing field or level the playing field between big businesses and small businesses. And so because I was already going to farmers markets, I, I started talking to farmers and I realized like how labor and capital intensive like selling at a farmer's market actually was. Like it's like a 15 hour day, they're driving two hours from their farm, setting up. Uh, one of the farmers called it blood money. And uh, I, I had a technical background. Um, I did a lot of work um, building like applications and, and large scale, like complex, complex problems. And so I said, Hey, maybe you can build a platform to make it easier for farmers to reach their customers. And, and that was the, 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 the start. And that led to good pluck. And we did a lot of things on the, on the back end that people don't really see to make delivering local produce in an area like Detroit profitable for farmers. So that was good pluck. And Long story short, after doing that for a couple of years, we met a lot of other businesses suffering from the same problem. So we built Pluck.eco uh, to solve a lot of the same problems we were doing for farmers or other local businesses. Um, yeah. I never thought I'd hear blood money associated with farmers markets. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's pretty surprising. But in, 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 in Detroit or in Michigan, um, it was 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So it was like, <laughs> it was uh, way below what I would call zero, uh, and the farmers would have propane heaters and they'd have to like, you know, alternate between keeping their vegetables from freezing and then keeping their fingers from freezing. Um, and so, uh, 
even when it's good weather, it's incredibly hard work. But to do that year round, it's it's possibly the most inefficient way you could imagine to sell anything is through a farmer's market. Yeah, I'm thinking that's not particularly good for the environment overall. <laughs> um, so I've been fascinated by immigrants who get into food businesses because, as you said, you were looking for some real food, not just <laughs> burgers and fries. Um, and uh, I, I recently discovered Woodspoon, uh, a delivery service in New York, founded by another immigrant from Israel, Oren Saar, um, where home chefs prepare meals from their home countries essentially to feed the homesick. Um, so this was the case with you, that you wanted to find real food, but you're talking about Detroit. I've, I've seen Canada from Detroit. I've never mm. seen a farm. Tell yeah, me a little yeah. bit about these farms that you're talking about. Well, so I think, so Detroit actually has a lot of farms in the city. Um, one of the uh, upsides from having, um, I, I suppose, uh, a city in which so much of the population at one point left is that there was a lot of space and a lot of people started to build up their neighborhoods by activating community gardens and little farms. Um, so there's a farm I work with very often, which is right in the center of uh, Detroit, very close to downtown, uh, called Brother Nature. And they started up uh, farming on lots. They've been trying to buy these lots for 10 years. They're abandoned. They clean them up. They put compost um, on top of the lots. They built up like extremely fertile uh, uh, ground, like um, in a completely biodynamic, organic kind of method. And now they make these incredible salad greens that they sell at the market um, with, with things that you wouldn't see like in a grocery store at all, like things that don't necessarily travel well, things that don't necessarily make sense for a grocery store that's focused on profit to sell, but things that you just wouldn't taste otherwise, like sorrel that that tastes like sour apple or, or mizuna and radicchio and lettuce and anyway this is just one of, of of the many farms um that are inside and around detroit not only are they farming but they're 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 really connected to a, a more regenerative um way of of of, of feeding their community um and, and one that's also benefiting the environment so um, a lot of people in Detroit are working to build the city back up. And this is a whole community subculture of people doing that through through sustainable farming. And I know that you always had a sort of yearning for entrepreneurship. Um, it's part of the reason you came to the U.S. Um, so what prepared you for this, you know, being part of the startup world? I know you had multiple internships in multiple countries, um, but you know, what, what prepared you for it or what was the spark that made you want to do this? I, I wasn't prepared for it. <laughs> I, uh, I just, I always wanted to work on problems and, and kind of like try and make people happy or make the world a better place by solving problems. That's kind of the way I'm, I'm wired. So if I can create an experience that, that helps someone do something in a better way, uh, that's what, what drove me and uh, entrepreneurship was so interesting to me because the, what you could do was limitless, right? You could, you could see any problem that you thought this shouldn't happen this way, right? Like I saw those farmers and I said, 
if this is the best way they have to sell, like this isn't an option, right? This is what they need to sell in this way to survive. Um, and it requires them working, you know, 15 hour days, something's broken in the system because, you know, it's not hard to find people who want that produce. It's not hard to find people who want the like nutritious, locally grown produce. They're everywhere, but the farmers just can't get it to them. You know, really it comes down to, it's just too expensive to, to distribute. Um, so I saw that problem and it's like, I had no idea if it would be profitable. I, I was like, this doesn't really seem like a venture um, kind of idea. Um, in the beginning, it definitely wasn't. Um, but I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to uh, try to have a positive impact um, on this problem, which is not only felt in Detroit, but like in small farms uh, across the US and indeed across the world. And you had no particular interest in farming before you you encountered this problem, did you? Uh, I would. I love. I love food, and I love cooking, and so I think by extension, I had a bit of a green thumb. Um, my grandfather was actually. Um, uh, he was a forester in Nigeria. He's from Cameroon. He then moved back to Cameroon, where he's from, and then he had a big uh, garden in in his like in his back garden. He had like a lot of different trees, a lot of different plants. My grandmother had like an actual farm there. Um, so I think I caught the kind of like green thumb pretty early. And I think I also realized from being in West Africa, because a lot of the food you buy, you buy from the people who grew it on the side of the road, right? And um, a lot of the things that people grow there, the land is so fertile that a lot of these things are just kind of like organic by default. Like, you know, the whole organic trend isn't a big thing in a lot of these places because no one affords, you know, pesticides, right? Until um, uh, until recently, you're trying to industrialize or whatever, but like... Yet another that, thing that started in Africa, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I know, I mean, so like you go back home and, and the food is so like, you know, I love plantain, but like you get plantain that's ripened on the tree and you take it off a branch um, and it tastes incredibly different from what you get in a grocery store. I mean, what you get in a grocery store, if you buy mangoes, you buy anything exotic, it's dead on arrival, yeah. right? It's, it's, a, it's a hint of what the actual, like pineapples is the biggest thing. If, if, if Americans go to Hawaii and try pineapples, their mind is blown, right? Because it grows in Hawaii. And, and I think that is the case for a lot of things that people just don't realize. If you've never grown tomatoes, um, then the grocery store tomatoes you get could be terrible all your life and you'd ne never know. You might think you don't actually like tomatoes because all you've had is like the, the big grocery, big industrial complex tomato, which is grown for like yield and profit. But you were able to incubate and launch your business and frankly, able to stay in the U.S. after your studies because of something called the Global Entrepreneur in Residence Program. Yeah. Uh, we've previously had Boston attorney Jeff Goldman on this uh, podcast, who's one of the founders of that initiative. And just to be clear, uh, it allows uh, international students to be able to remain in the U.S. Uh, if they're inherently entrepreneurial, if they have a business idea and uh, avoid the H-1B lottery system. Mm -hmm. um, so you're able to stay here and incubate at a university like the University of Michigan in your case. Um, 
Can you describe your experience with that program? And and do you consider it sort of a, a lifesaver that it allowed you to remain in the U.S.? Um, uh, so uh, maybe I'll answer this question backwards. I now have a two-year-old son. Um, and the fact that I was able to start this company in the U.S. means that I can be with him <laughs> here, you know? Um I don't know how that might have changed if I wasn't able to stay here. So, I mean, I have a very strong, obviously strong personal reason to be grateful for um, uh, the program and the work that Jeff um, and Steve Tabachman, who who I was originally introduced to the program. What I would say is I knew that I wanted to start a business. Um, I, I was going to start a business no matter where I ended up, because I think that was just innate in me. Um, I had no idea of how it was going to actually work and um, how I was going to be able to stay uh, in the U.S. But I was kind of optimistic, maybe foolishly so. And so I was just, I just started, you know, I, I started doing pitch competitions. I started like talking about my idea. I went through a couple different ideas that were all like local business based before I settled on the farmers. And at a pitch competition, uh, I met someone who works for Global Detroit, which is part of the Global EIR program called Millie Chu. And she said, hey, you should apply to this program. Um, literally out of the blue, saw me pitch. Hey, you should try this. Like maybe we can help you stay in the US. And, you know, from that moment, like if that chance encounter, encounter hadn't happened, I, I probably wouldn't be in the US today. And so I, I said I had a technical background. I had, I had extended my visa as much as I could. I did the OPT, CPT, like STEM extension, all of that. Um, did the H1B lottery twice, didn't get it. So it was really down to the wire um, when the global EIR thing finally came through. Um, and uh, I think what I would say is, it, the the program is um, is like a key, right? Like it uh, it unlocks the opportunity to like build what you what you want. I wouldn't say it was easy or it was smooth, but it was the key. There's a lot of hurdles hurdles to overcome, and I'd say being able to work part time at the University of Michigan while I like really dug into some of these. Um, uh, systemic issues and figured out how could I actually fix this at scale. That time also gave me the chance to really uh, validate and 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 come up with like a good strategy. And very very few people know what it's like to be looking at the edge of the precipice in terms of your visa running out and what are my options and will I get to stay? It it actually is a little bit traumatic. Yeah. Um, and I imagine for you with the very many different visas and things that you want, like OPT, it would have been just like that. Um, but it's fascinating that you've been able to stay here and create this business and help local farmers. Uh, these are not people from the UK or Ghana that you're helping. These are people from Michigan, uh, American farmers. So, Let's talk a little bit about that adventure. What was it first like when you moved to the U.S.? Was it uh, was it Top Gun or Full House? Was it, uh, it was, on TV? It was very exciting. It was uh, immediately, there's just so much opportunity in front of you. And there were definitely things that I think may have given some people some pause. There are some cultural issues 
um, there's a whole history of um, racism and and kind of like how that makes people act and and all that thing. But at the same side, on the same token, sorry, um, it was just like uh, an explosion of of opportunity and um, in even coming from London, I feel like a lot of people in terms of like a career path, it's more traditional, right? There's, there's, there's more of a traditional path there. There's there at the time entrepreneurship wasn't such a huge thing. I, I think like globally as like something everyone talks about, every school has a program. So coming to America where that's so uh, big, I'll tell you what the, the turning point for me was I came in as a mechanical engineer and I went to a hackathon, which is a huge event where they had uh, 1,200 students, all computer kind of nerds, come into a room, uh, stay awake for 36 hours and build um, anything. And there's a big competition. They're just hacking all weekend. It's called a hackathon. The winner of this competition, I tell this story all the time, they came in with like a drill, uh, a plastic bin, uh, and a servo and a computer. And they made, by the end of the weekend, they had a dustbin that you could throw trash on the top plate of the dustbin. And based on the sound it made when it hit the top plate of the dustbin, it will know if it's like a metal and it can be recycled or if it's plastic or if it's trash and it would flip to put it in the right bin. Oh, wow. In, in 36 hours of no sleep. And I was like, the my whole first semester of mechanical engineering, I had not made anything that cool. So like that night, I switched majors to computer science. And and because um, I was like, if you have this sort of power, um, then, then wh- where's the limit, right? If someone can make that product, like what's the limit? So that's kind of um, from there that I was like wild about... Um, uh, tech uh and just for our, our american audience dustbin equals trash can sorry yeah <laughs> i I, men- I mentioned trash when i said throwing the trash but i forgot to change bin so you've been able to build a life here with your family with mm-hmm. uh as a businessman and, and an inventor um which as you said there was not necessarily that culture back in in the uk when when you were growing up, I've even heard, uh, I interviewed someone from France who said, you know, it was almost frowned upon that you would want to think of going in a non-traditional um, career. So reflect a little bit on what it means to you and immigrants like you that have the chance to thrive and to try new things and to create in America's very entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, I, I think it's, uh, I'm... I, I think it's 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 very humbling. Um, it's it's such a great opportunity. Um, I have tried to create things that that kind of like help those who don't necessarily have that opportunity. I would love to have the opportunity. Um, to do what I'm doing now back home or in, in, in Ghana. I wish there was a lot more opportunities uh, or I wish the amount of opportunities available equaled what you can see in front of you in the U S 
the amount of opportunity to build something and 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 make the pie bigger for everyone, not just Americans, but everybody. It's just so much uh, potential. And I often have a problem where there are more good ideas to work on than any one person can do in a lifetime. And so you have to choose the idea that is, is, is going to not make you regret saying no to all the others. Um, but that's, that's really, I don't know if this answers your question that well, but I mean, that's really what the experience for, of being here in the U S, um, uh, has afforded me. There's so many things you could do and it's just finding the one that, that resonates, uh, with you. We can't wait to see what you come up with in five years or less. Yeah. And <laughs> Lord knows we hope that you're able to remain in this country and continue innovating and continue solving problems that uh, real life problems that affect people. Uh, Channing Duker, founder and CEO of Good Pluck, uh, an immigrant from the UK via Ghana and Cameroon and Singapore. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the JobMakers podcast. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for this week's story of the incredible immigrant spirit that is transforming lives in myriad ways. If you know another outstanding immigrant business owner or innovator we should talk to, email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. I'm Denzel Muhammad. See you next time for another episode of Jobmakers.